0: What's up, everybody? TJ here. Real quick before we get started with the episode, I'm testing out a new feature called Fan Mail, which is where you can actually text me from the episode that you're listening to. So as you're listening to this, go over to the episode description and right there at the beginning, you're going to see some text that says, send me a text message. Go ahead, click that. Let me know what you think about the podcast so far. Let me know of any questions, concerns, anything you might have. I love to hear from you. So go ahead and hit that up, I'm excited to read your text, and let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I wanted to make sure you knew about our Patreon community. This is an online community where we help you grow into a tougher, faster, more aggressive firefighter with specific action plans designed to make you more resilient and well-rounded. The awesome thing about this community is that as soon as you join, we'll set you up with exactly what you need to grow as a firefighter. You'll get a workout every day that you can do with your crew or by yourself. We'll have a weekly growth mindset meditation to make sure your mind is ready for the strengths of the job. And you can use our recovery exercises to take care of your body to make sure you have a long fire service career. We've been able to create amazing success for our members, like our friend Connor, who beat all his PRs in less than a month while still maintaining a strong cardio base. Or Ethan, who gained a new perspective on the fire service while finishing his probationary period. And members like Chris, who learn a better way to balance work and life outside the firehouse. To check out the membership and learn more, head over to joinkeepthepromise.com. Again, that's joinkeepthepromise.com. And as a podcast listener, we have a special offer for you. When you sign up for a yearly membership, you get two months free. That's actually the maximum Patreon allows me to give you for free. So have at it. I can't wait to see you there. Now let's jump into the episode.
1: So when somebody new comes in the door and they're wide-eyed and they want to ask you a million questions, remember you were that guy at one time. Don't talk about them. Don't shun them. That's our next brotherhood. Welcome to the Keep the Promise podcast, where we help build resilient and well-rounded firefighters. Hey, everybody.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and today I have the distinct honor, the pleasure, (laughs) and the great luck of interviewing a literally good old friend of mine. I have here with me Barrett Pittman, whom I met back in 2016 at one of those geeky, nerdy hazmat training classes in the middle of nowhere, Colorado. And today I get to pick his brain. He just happened to be at the National Fire Academy, and I text him, I said, let's record. I want to I hear your story. I want everybody to hear your story. And being the good man that he is, he agreed. So
1: Barrett, welcome to the yeah. Keep the Promise podcast. I'm so happy to have yeah, you. Man. thank you for having me. I told TJ, kind of leading up to this, as, as fast as I could put it on my bucket list, I'll be able to take it off. Listening to other fire department podcasts, one day I, I'd like to say I did that in my, my career in the fire service. And, uh, within a couple of hours time, we, we accomplished that. Yeah. Here you are. So it's yeah. awesome, isn't it? Who, who would have thought, you know, seven years ago, uh, you know, I said at the CERTSI training center in Pueblo, Colorado, that, you know, all, all this would connect the dots and, you know, lifelong friendships, uh, still to this day oh, exist between it's just, And it kind of goes with the brotherhood of the fire service, Um, something I've tried to explain to my wife. But until you're in this brotherhood, you know, people don't understand it. People don't get it. And And it's it's funny because we will go months and sometimes
0: years without speaking. And this is going to relate to so many people. But then we pick up like we were still hungover at Denver International, (laughs) trying to make our way home after a week long, just... Yeah, day of debauchery. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's it's been a good ride so far, and we're definitely going to to go into how we met, where where we met, and and some of the characters because they definitely hell they deserve yeah, their they, own they, episode. Yeah, they
1: they uh feel like they deserve their recognition here. because oh, Without them, I, I feel like we uh none of this would have all panned out and happened. And dude, before I forget, you are one of the first
0: supporters of Keep the Promise. Before it was its own entity. Back mm. when I used to sell the apparel and the, the stickers and everything through through TJ Leather, you
1: and your crew were yeah, immediately they're, uh, they're asking they're still asking, uh, are they are they available? And if so, where can we purchase? And now that uh like I, I say probably wear that hoodie because of what your statement was for that, you know, keep the promise and you know, as firemen, we're we're trusted um, you know, for someone to call in their deepest, darkest hour, um, has no idea who we are. And when our crews go through that door, whether it's through a working house fire to do a search or uh a loved one has gone into cardiac arrest or whatever it is, they're trusting us to come in and, and you know, we'll we'll kind of touch on some of those other things, but later in the in the podcast here, but you know, there, we're, we're given that and it's, we need to keep that promise. Um, I feel like it kind of gets exploited at times, um, through so many different avenues that it's kind of bringing us, bring the brotherhood back, uh, for, for, you know, some of the, I guess the departments that feel like they have lost it or it's slipping away. And I, you know, we, we need to bring that back. We need to be that voice to bring the brotherhood back absolutely absolutely and it's humbling that that you feel that
0: this venture is is doing that because it it was one of the goals to to basically create that fire service that i always envisioned in my head mm. and then going back to your folks that are asking about when all the swag is going to be around uh, yeah my the store uh, is going to go live here soon so
1: they're uh i appreciate like their said, patience I, 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 I protect what I have of of, uh, Keep the Promise just in case. uh, Yeah, you got to put your name on it, dude. You know, but I I remember that that night when I first found the hoodies on the website and we went to our crew, um, which, you know, we'll give them a shout out here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think we ordered six hoodies that night from from Keep the Promise. And it's, it's, I, I wear it to work, to and from work. Uh, I, I bought the green, I like the hunt, so it's, uh, I've, I've worn it on hunts, and just, like I said, I, it's at the Fire Academy now, I wore it here from New Orleans International all the way through Baltimore Airport, through the Fire Academy last night, I got a lot of looks from it, and when I wear it locally to the Mississippi Fire Academy or wherever I'm at, hey, where can I get that, and what is that about? And it's being able like I said against sharing that story of of keep the promise and what it's about. And so it's 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 that advertising for for us and you. Dude, you're pretty much like the first Keep the Promise
0: ambassador. This is awesome. (laughs) This is giving me goosebumps. (laughs) So you're talking about your crew, right? You're you're kind of hinting as to geographically where you are. Just tell us like what
1: tell us your story. (laughs) Where where you're from, what do you do, where you work. I work for the, the, uh, the formal name of St. Tammany Fire District number four. Um, We've kind of re- been rebranded uh, to Mandeville Fire and EMS. Uh, we're just north of New Orleans by about 24 miles across the, the causeway, longest bridge in the world of its type. Uh, we have a five station, about 120 employee department, um, four engines, a truck, uh, considered a heavy rescue. Uh, five ambulances and some other support vehicles, and <clears throat> I'm fortunate uh, to work with ten of probably the the best men that you know that I, I get to work with. Uh, I'm very fortunate for the crew that I have. Uh, my co captain, you know, we're we're kind of like the yin and yi yang. Uh, we we have a lot of the same beliefs, even though we we do a lot of things differently. Um, I have to give him some props. Um, And then, you know, just like every other fire service there, you've got the captain. And then we'll go down to the drivers or the operators. Um, Those guys, you know, they're our next up and coming. So as an officer, as a captain, um, if I'm not training them to do my job, then I'm failing as a captain. I feel that's how I believe. I feel that way. That's how I was raised in the fire service um, from the two captains that I had. And just, you know, coming up, they made sure that you could do your job and then the job ahead of you. So coming on as a firefighter, they made sure that I owned that firefighter's position and then made sure that I knew my job or soon-to-be job as a driver, engineer, operator, you know, whatever classification you want your department calls it. And it's the same thing as a as a driver. I had influences as, from other officers like, hey, this is what you need. And, and because I wanted to be that officer coming through the fire service, I saw officers that I did not want to be, um, which that can, that's going to take us down a whole different path uh, to some of the questions. But I was able to, you know, me decide who I, what kind of firefighter, driver, captain, and one day chief officer, what I want to be. That's, that's why we're here at the fire academy. This week, you know, we're taking command and control um, just because that's, that's, I'm building my, my future and I can go back and pass that on to our crew um, and hopefully they pass it on and just, it's, it's contagious. And same with the firefighters. Um, I remember my first day, I was hired in 2001, March 27th, 2001, um, when I came in and. Not so much the environment, but who I was around and influential people, and I hope that I can spread that positive, you know, you know, as far as the love of the job, and I think our crew can speak that. Um, I'm a third generation fireman. Uh, my dad retired with 51 years on the job uh, as a as a fire chief, um, but he's always you know, I've been around the fire service my entire life. Uh, I just made 42. Um, But I, I, like I said, been around the fire service my entire life. I knew pretty much this is what I wanted to do. I was either going to be a third generation fireman or a fourth generation mechanic. My family owned a mechanic shop started in 1921. And so I kind of had either or direction to go to. And um, just kind of one thing led to the next and start out as a volunteer at 18, I guess, legally. And took an EMT class in Mandeville. I was late getting my civil service application in or my, my, um, I had his test score, but was late to get my application into Mandeville and I remember who I was met by a, the chief of EMS at the time and, um, he was kind of rude to me and, uh, I went back to the tire shop where another gentleman, uh, worked with us part-time, I said, man, I'm not going to work for Mandeville. I said, you know, this rude. I've heard bad things. I just, that's not where I want to be. And uh, there was a guy in the 2001 class. um, He was released from duty and the fire chief met me after EMT school one day. And he said, Hey, would you be interested in a job here? And I said, yes, sir. You know, I said, uh, you know, and obviously my dad being a fire chief, he knew the fire chief, he knew, you know, you know, know all the chiefs in the area. And, um, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, let's, uh, let's set you up an interview in a couple of days. I'll be in touch. And so I delivered my civil service score to them, filled out another application, and my interview lasted about five minutes and three questions. And I was hired on the spot. Didn't care Um, what I made. It was I had a job in the fire service, an official career in the fire service. And from there, fast forward, I just made my or fixing to make my twenty-second year with Mandeville, and it's uh, I not look back. you know, just like everybody, I've had my ups and my downs, um, been through some bad times in my life, just like anybody else. But for me, I leaned back into the job to the brothers that I work with, um, have and had worked with, and they've helped me get through those hard times. And And right now I'm, I'm sailing on a high and I, and I keep going back to our crew, um, you know, it's a shout out to the station forty one A. Um, they they like to be known as, as the truck sluts. And uh, you know, we just we you know, we're around with the heavy rescue. Um, we're we're ate up with the podcasts and, and watching, you know, stuff on YouTube and doing training of our own. Um, and we just found out kind of the other day that we're we're beginning our engine is replaced with our seventy foot seventy five foot stick. And so we will have two truck companies which that kind of feeds their ego um so you it's a we get the best of both worlds um, kind of you know between one day riding the quint which is to me is still a truck it's a ladder let's let's be real bro that's blasphemy and uh and then, and and then two two days you know on, on the squad on a heavy rescue and uh, that's that again that just that feeds our ego we um you know i give a shout out to patrick gidry for Kind of spearheading uh, our station shirts, um, it's the pride of pride of Old Mandeville, and that's that's what we serve and protect. Station Forty One, and we have a sticker, a patch, T-shirt, kind of like each company. You know, you you want them to take ownership and the buy-in, and that's again just going to some of your questions that I that I got. It's you want your guys to have buy-in and make them feel wanted. And I feel that that's more for a productive end in the fire service. Um, you know, that that comes through experience, that comes through classes. But you really want, you know, I see guys show up to work at six fifty nine, and they're looking to leave at six oh one. And you know, our our guys, the latest guy gets there probably about six thirty, and our tour doesn't start till seven. We're seven seven eight to seven a. And they've taken ownership because they want to be there. They love the job. And that's, you know, you surround yourself with that. And, you know, that it makes our, our life easy. It It's, you know, they are ate up with it. And that's that's what I want to surround myself with. I want somebody that wants to be there to do the job and, and be a part of that brotherhood. I keep going
0: back to something you said earlier that actually stuck in my head, that you had those mentors that, made sure that you owned your position, but were also a useful part of the team. And I need to touch on a couple of things. Number one, how incredibly important it is to know what the other people in your crew are doing and what their responsibilities are. Because even though, you know, you're a medic, I might not know how to do medic stuff, I can at least support you as best as I can because I have taken the initiative to learn what your position is, to to kind of own it. And And you've said it a couple of times and it's it speaks volumes to the kind of firefighter that I know that you are, that you treat it as such. It's not just, hey, learn my position or understand what my job duties are. I need to own my spot. I need to own where I am and we see that it's contagious to your people, right? Now your subordinates, quote unquote, but you look at them more as your family, right? Mm-hmm. They own that. They own we go back to Rick Lasky pride and ownership. We go back to to all these concepts of this is this is a calling. This is a profession that that we just love to do. And I think that that's very interesting how how you look at it and how happy you were to get hired and and to get started in your fire service journey and um that's the that's a sentiment that that I'm excited to be able to capture to have the opportunity to talk about on this platform because in a day and age where we are losing some of that where we are seeing a bit of a decline in in people's desire to join the fire department to become volunteers to to get that career we we see that decline it is refreshing to see crews who get together and create their t shirts, have their patches, that that pride and ownership of their job and what they do, because that's what's going to carry generation after generation of the fire service. Think about it. And well, it's 15... just like it's just
1: like the hoodies, you know, the uh, we I said five or six hoodies we sold that night, or, or boss they sold, you know, and I bought my chin strap from you. Well then now again, hey, where'd you get that? uh shop PJ Leather. They went on. Um now three or four guys um ha- have bought chin straps. Um I just got a text when I told two of them what I was doing this afternoon. Um Matt said, hey, grab my radio strap while you're there. And uh so I don't I don't know if that's ready or not, but um, you know, it, and again, it it's they're they're spending their money for for a radio strap a chin strap um, because it's, again, it's taking, I feel that that's taking more pride into your job. You know, it just like everybody's turnout coat, you know, you've got a radio pocket kind of, that's like a standard issue kind of thing. Well, these guys, you know, they thrive on the, they met an FDNY guy in their hazmat chemistry class. And, and, and it's been, and I get it. I was in their shoes too and still am. Um, You know, but FDNY uses radio straps and, you know, it's too much to be, and I I agree. But again, it just kind of goes to show for them, they're, they're just ate up with it. And so, and and on the business end of things, right, it,
0: I've always kind of towed that line of whether is it a business dealing with customers or is it a business dealing with firefighters? Because to me that makes a difference, right? I am my own customer, pretty much, and it's important to realize that these items are going to go on calls. Are going to do things like I want to treat them, the customers, as my crew, and I want to give them the best because, you know, we're not that different from each other. Louisiana, Maryland, right. West Coast—we're all. New Mexico. The same job. New yeah, Mexico. what up, Gabe, New Mexico. <laughs> well, that is a perfect segue. So <laughs> I'll start this and we kind of have to bounce out off each other, but we met back in it was leading up it was a week leading up to Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. In beautiful Pueblo, Colorado. Yeah. Where you and I were for CERTSY's, what was it, Highway Emergency Response Special. Oh, yeah. I still remember that. HERS. That was a wonderful class, right? Yeah.
1: And what, what were you trying to learn at that point, right? We were doing... So I think we were, you know, like you said at best, we were all part of that that technical hazmat geek side of us, which is a whole different world in the fire service. Um, and I forgot how I even found out about HERS. I think one of my coworkers had gone and he knows my love of, of not so much all things hazmat, but definitely technical and technical rescue. He said, man, you really got to go take this HERS class. Um, You know, he kind of said, you know, that's that's pretty much what he said. He's just go take it. He's kind of in his own way. But uh, I remember signing up and and going. I went by myself, which, you know, for the listeners, don't think getting into the fire service. I remember being 18 and going to our state fire academy at LSU, and I did a lot of stuff by myself. And I was kind of uh, very shy and quiet until it took me a little while to kind of warm up to, you know, to the, I guess, classmates. Um, And, you know, kind of once you once I got things going, you know, then it made class a lot easier. I've been at the fire academy up here in Maryland. Uh, 2002, I went with seven guys. The next year in 2003, I came by myself. So it forces you to interact. And that's how you network. Um through this brotherhood and and then you know may of sixteen you know we you and I sat shoulder to shoulder in hers, and you know you kind of talked to the people that are around you in a class of twenty four and you know you sat at my left shoulder, Josh Durko sits at my right, and brian and and Rob sit in front, and Gabe was kind of behind between you and i on the on the next row, and that was the circle. You know that was every night going to the Shamrock, and um, as as our instructor today says, the, the debrief, and that was our debrief. Uh, you know, Monday through Friday, and uh, we still stay in touch. Um, you know, uh, and and like I said, you know, it's been six years, gone on seven. You know, since I last saw you, and we we picked up like it's nothing. Yep. And and Gabe, you know, Gabe's been to our ho- house. I, you know, countless times now uh, he was there for um, at my wife and I's reveal party. Uh, he comes in once or twice a year to go hunt uh, and, and in for, for a crawfish boil. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, that's where uh, he proposed to his fiance he was was down. No kidding. Yeah, was down at our place. And so, I again, May of 2016, I, you couldn't have scripted that. I've never imagined no. that. And now it's just, again, part of that networking brotherhood that, that I, that I encourage, you know, go to classes, yeah, go to classes with your class, you know, with, with your other, other brothers from your department, but also go by yourself and kind of, don't be afraid to, to, to branch out. And cause that, that's how you learn more than just what the class offers, but what other people are doing. And then go back to your department, be an advocate for that. You know, kind of, we talked about the mental health thing earlier, um, before we, before we went on and it, it's, you know, from listening to, you know, previous podcasts and, and being able to be a voice in that, there's no doubt that, that our career needs that. And, um, so it, it again, it's just that networking, yeah. something you can just hear, uh, you know, whether you're, whether you're sharing beers after class or whatever it is, um, you know, you, you learn more than just what you came to learn in a class.
0: Yeah, that networking side and and expanding upon that brotherhood is so incredibly important. And when some of the younger guys in our special ops team would be telling me, hey, I'm trying to go to Aniston or, or Pueblo or Vegas to to take this class, but I'm trying to go, like, I don't want to go by myself. I don't want to go. I only want to go if I can get, like, a handful of the other guys. I'd say the same thing you said. I'm like, dude, just just go. Hmm. Just you have, number one, you have complete control of what image you project of your department, so you can make them look amazing. But most importantly, you are forced to interact with the other folks in those classes, and you end up with lifelong friendships. I mean, after we left Pueblo, like a couple of weeks later, I ended up in in Mercury for the, the Rad Nuke class. Shocker, that's where Brian and Rob yeah. work, and... They gave me a behind-the-scenes tour of the firehouse. They were showing me maps. like, yes, this is Area 51. This is where the guards are shooting at you if you get too close. Like stuff that I would have never gotten to experience and that my classmates never got to do because they didn't have those those networking. And it's one of the greatest things in the fire service is that
1: brotherhood that it spans the world. Yeah. And I want to go back real quick right there where you said, you know, you're representing your department and... And I, and I see it right with our department uh, and and there's no perfect fire department for coast to coast. There's just not. Um, and uh, unfortunately, there are times where, you know, I get it. Management has to make a decision, right? Wrong and different. They have to make the decision. They have to move forward. And it's not a popularity contest. But just remember when I say that, you know, don't go to class and put down on your department. You know, just remember your very first day. You know, you fought how excited you were to get on that department. And yeah, I, I don't have a rock star day every day I go to work. Um, and I get it. I'm an officer and I'm not trying to be a company man, but sounds like it. Yeah, it does. It does. So I'm trying to bring this back home. Uh, but just remember, man, you you, know, you are representing your department and how bad you fought to get there. And, um, you know, just just think back to that. So when somebody new comes in the door and and they're wide-eyed and they want to ask you a million questions, remember you were that guy at one time. So don't, don't talk about him, don't shun them. You know, that's our next brotherhood. You're probably going to be that man's captain. He's going to be your driver. And so you want to take him under your wing, what you might think is aggravating or whatever it is, and you want to show him those ropes and make sure that, again, you know, just like you talked about, you might not be a paramedic, but how can I support a paramedic? Same thing on a technical rescue scene. You might not have trench rescue or confined space, but, you know, I want to make sure that you know, you know, what the things that we need, what our team is going to need to make this a success. And, and that's how, we remember, we're all in this together and not one man, you might be the one man hanging on into that rope or being lowered down into that vessel. But again, you're not the sole guy. It's your team, your crew that is doing that. You're doing it as a whole. And, and I, I, that's, I guess that's where I feel so blessed is that our team, that's how we function. And, you know, we can take the worst job and turn it into the best because we're all sharing that load together. Um, so it, it's, you know, just, just think back on that whenever you're going. And sometimes going to these classes, It kind of might boost, you know, your, your, um, your, what you see as an outcome, you know, your, your negativity, it kind of gets you away from your department. You're with a, you know, new guys again that you're networking, you're meeting and it's like, you know what, they got the same problem. So it's not just us here in Mandeville or it's not us here, you know, in um, you know, whatever fire department you work for, it's, it's all over. So it's not just our department that's having the problems. It's, it's nationwide. Whether you're a small volunteer to fire department or as big as New York City, it's just on a grander scale, and so it's, it's all the same, you know. You mentioned a trench
0: rescue, and you knew this was going to trigger my question. <laughs> Tell me about this iconic trench rescue with a picture that you sent in the group chat all those years ago, because um, it sticks in my mind. I mean, it looked it looked wild,
1: bro. So I'm uh two thousand and three. They had had some other members of our fire department. They had gone to trench rescue um, before I got hired on. And, um, you know, again, just being a lover of all things uh, technical rescue, I, I remember signing up and I had a couple of naysayers. You know, they really, some of the naysayers, they didn't believe in this kind of training and or training in general. They're like, you know, you're wasting your time. We're never going to use it. You're never going to. Uh, it's just all a waste. And I said, okay, well, I mean, that's your opinion, but I'm still going to go. And I applied, I went to basic trench rescue at LSU it was a 40 hour week. And again, just how networking works. Um, shortly thereafter that class, I had a job interview or a job offer from them to work, uh, for LSU as an adjunct rescue instructor. Um, but so I, I took basic trench rescue, um, Loved it because it's, it's construction. It's the fire service. Uh, I'm not a handyman by no means, but I, I like to get my hands dirty. And then they offered an advanced trench rescue, and a couple of us went and just really, you know, just killed that game. Um, in 2005, right before Katrina came through, uh, down especially in our, in our first due district, they were redoing a two-lane road, making it a five-lane highway. And there was some massive um, drainage work, road work being done. We were able to say, hey, look, we approached the construction company, which has not to be identified. Um, they donated some money towards the fire department. We bought equipment. We put it on our rig, still had the naysayers. We're never going to use this. We're never going to use it. Y'all just, you're wasting time, money, effort. Um, I'd just gotten back from the FDNY uh, medical specialist conference and we did some we talked about crush syndrome and treatment and a lot it just how everything just kind of flowed right here and within about a week or two um I was off duty and uh one of my good friends he's a district chief now he was the captain on the rescue squad for the day and he called and he said hey there's a trench collapse in Madisonville I I need you to come and so I kind of um, quickly shifted gears. Uh, I called my dad, you know, he like said at Fire Chief at the time. Um, we used his truck to get me there pretty quick. And on the way there, I started making phone calls to other members um, that, that I knew had the training and were competent in this type of work. And, you know, we, again, going back to if your if your crews don't know or don't have the certification or the training, at least let them know the equipment that they need. And so he was um, this again. We were running mutual aid to this call from Mandeville, so we had an ambulance, a chief, a district chief, in our heavy rescue, which we carry uh, four fin form panels and a pretty extensive array of the Paratech gray struts. And walk pads and everything you need to, to initiate, you know, a two-panel set to get started. And so I got there and I quickly, you know, put my harness on and I asked the chief, or I asked the the district chief that was somewhat running the show, um, but more or less my friend on the on the rescue. I said, Hey, I so what do you need? He said, We we need to move. He said, One guy's there's two guys in a trench, one guy's pinned from the waist. Down, and the other guy is probably dead. And so uh, they had already had one panel set. We had set a second panel. Um, I got down in there. um, I established um, his IVs, and I was calling for equipment. And again, it's part of our, you know, the fire service is you don't think, you know, just one direction. You need to, you know, be able to think outside of the box, especially when you get into tech rescue. And so I'm calling for a lot of things and like, he's in cardiac. I was calling for an AED and I knew our, our AED on rescue has a two lead where I can look at, you know, look at his heart. Cause there's some certain things that I'm looking for, for crush syndrome, like, you know, as far as treatment paths. And I said, Hey, I see, I need an AED, a roll of duct tape and, and two large bore IV setups. And like, he's going into cardiac arrest. No, no, just, just give me the stuff. Like, let's relax. And, um, the guy was bent he, he was facing away from me. Um, and so I, I taped the duct taped the leads to him again, little, little tips and tricks I picked up from the FDNY's rescue medics and taped the AED leads to his back and nailed the AED to the fin form panel and, uh, could watch his rhythm and put two large bore IVs in him, gave him some oxygen and we started digging and, um, you know, he kept asking, and I I could see his friend, but he could not, or his coworker as well. And he kept asking me, What, you know, what about my friend? What about my friend? And I said, Look, let's 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 focus on getting you out right now. Um and it took us a little while. We I rotated through, you know, I, I dug and dug and dug, and finally they said, Look, you you gotta come out, like we, you know, we we had to start a work cycle. And so I came, they pulled me out, they put another crew in, and they kept digging and kept digging and kept digging. And I rotated back in. And he just again, he kept asking. And so I'm now like I didn't want to tell him that his friend is deceased because I, I, at that point, I feel like he's just like going to give up himself. And so um, I started talking to him and he's like, man, I just I want to see my baby born. I want to see my baby born. And I said, all right. So and I said, now we really we, we can't let this thing go south. I said, we, we whatever it is, we, we have to get this man out of this hole. And he needs to be able to see his baby born. That's that's all he kept, you know, that was, that's all he was worried about, uh, obviously, other than staying alive. And we we finally got him dug out. We we lowered the Stokes basket down on the uh, ground ladder and laced him in the basket. Well, I kind of, I went up ahead of him to kind of guide the basket up the beams. And when he, I kind of straddled, the, somewhat straddled the ladder and when he got, well, almost, we got almost face to face. And I said, hey, man, I said, you're going to see your baby born. And dude, he just started crying. And I said, I'll never forget that. Like that was um, even post-Katrina making a grab. Like that, you know, that moment that I had with that worker was, you know, for the naysayers that you'll never use this. Um, that was my fourth trench job in, you know, around our area. Um, and we made a difference. And unfortunately, like I said, his friend and coworker, you know, he, he didn't make it. And, um, so they, you know, naturally the, the news crews were out there, they took a million pictures and just like any, any moment in time, like they caught that and it kind of, it kind of took off and as well, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty cool picture. I mean, I, you know, not to grandstand myself, but, uh, uh, that's when I sent it to y'all and that year, the... One of the the, uh, the Knights of Columbus, uh, they came to the fire, the Mandeville, I guess, chapter, I guess you could call it, came to the, the fire chief and said, hey, like, you, you know, we, we need you to nominate a firefighter of the year and a paramedic of the year. And they, they gave the firefighter of the year to my friend that was on the rescue, the captain of rescue for, he was put in the operations. Um, he called the shots. You know, he, he knew what needed to be done. He knew who to contact, the competent person, the people that needed to be there. And I got nominated for paramedic of the year from my, you know, my treatment path and, and everything that I had done for the man. And, um, you know, that was, again, that, that, that is the experience that, you know, again, here we are to tell about that. I, I would have never in a million years back 2003, when I took that class that I would have been doing that in, in 2017, I think it was. And, uh, you know, just just one of those crazy moments that you that you find yourself in.
0: It's so awesome that you get to share that experience, because seeing the picture, obviously it didn't capture everything that went down, but if you pay enough attention to those little things, you start realizing just how complex that incident was and how filthy and exhausting. It must have been. And yeah, I
1: mean I... mentally, physically. Um, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so it's uh you know, I think it was ninety degrees with a probably hundred percent humidity, which that's a different heat and all it's you know, and on its own. And um we kinda had you know, Tom was not on our side, obviously for him and his injuries, you know, but it was already pre-disturbed soil. It's going to happen again, even though we had systems in place, like it's not a place to just hang out. And then, um, we have our afternoon thunderstorms, which can be pretty significant at times. And we, after we freed the, you know, the man from the hole, we made the decision to like, we have to stop efforts because the sun, the thunderstorm came through. Um, we did have a round of severe weather, um, And, and we went back at it. And so it's, uh.
0: Just in the nick of time, man. Yeah. 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 Got him at the right time. Lots of highs and lows on that call, on that incident. How do you recover from those? What's, what's
1: your Um, treatment plan, if you will, for yourself? So for me personally, um, you know, like I shared, I, I enjoy the outdoors. I love to hunt, um, Depending on what kind of hunting you do, yeah, you know, either you're sitting in a tree and it's just you, and you can just let your mind roam. Um, you can kind of take life in. It's quiet. It's peaceful. You just think about a lot of things: life, family, the job, things that you've seen. Um, you know, and then other th- other forms of hunting. I'm with coworkers. Uh, I'm I'm with you know. We just got back from a, an Arkansas trip with you know three of Three other guys you know that that I work with uh, two of them are on our crew um, and so it, it's being part of that camaraderie and and part of you know some of that outreach um, other than obviously it's fun we're you know we're all together and doing it but kind of more of as an outreach um one of the guys that I, I felt like I could kind of you know he was just kind of recently went up went through a through a bad breakup with his girlfriend and uh, he's kind of a younger guy and I just, I felt like, I felt the, the need to to reach out to him and say, Hey, look, you know, like let's, let's sign up, you know, get your money in, come on this hunt and, and let's, let's free your mind. Let's clear your mind. And I've also tried to give him, um, kind of keep him busy. You know, he's, he's next up on the promotional list for, for operator, for driver. And so it's making, again, making sure that he can do his job. Uh, just, you know, Unfortunately, in the fire service, you know, you're, you're kind of set with minimum standards. And so, again, I don't believe in minimum standards. So it's kind of making sure that he can do his job as a firefighter and definitely do his job as a soon-to-be driver. Um, but kind of circling back to the, that mental, mental um, health and wellness, I, I really like to work out and, and hit the gym. Um, it seems like a, a great escape, a great release. Uh, my wife is aware of that. Um, you know, she's an emergency room nurse. Um, so she sees the other half of what we see, you know, she gets the, you know, the, uh, whenever, whatever the, the ambulance crews bring in, she sees the other side of that, the other half of that. And I try not to bring work home. Um, but she has been a huge supporter and a support group of mine. Um, you know, if it's, if it's a bad call at work, um, whatever it is. And so I, you know, there was a coworker that he left us. He went to work for, for New Orleans fire. And then, you know, he he ended up taking his own life and it was still kind of a shock that night once we found out and only to find out that, you know, what we should have had wasn't there. And, um, my advice is, you know, don't, don't isolate yourself. Don't be alone unless, you know, even, even initially, you know, the first couple of weeks, don't, don't, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. You're not going to be, I can't say not discriminated. Um, You're not going to be single. There's going to be out. stigma. Yeah. It, like it's okay. You know, it's, it's not, it's not meant for humans to see the things that we do. And so I, I suggest that, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't. Don't, you know, it's okay to cry. Um, I don't care how tough you think you are. Um, there are some pretty humbling calls that I've seen that you can tell when when a brother needs to be lifted um, that, you know, you can offer. And if he wants to talk, he can talk. And if he doesn't, I'm not going to judge the man for it. But I wanted the man to know that I'm there. Um, he's not in this alone. And whatever it is that that brings you, I say, peace you know, with, with you, if it's the gym, if it's the outdoors, if it's working on your car, if it's a construction project, whatever it is and do it, Like, don't keep this bottled up. Don't isolate yourself because it's only going to destroy you from the inside, uh, and potentially make a decision that you can't come back from. And, you know, and again, that's just, don't, don't put that on your brothers that there's, you know, you might fight every day you come to work, Um, but there's, you know, and I, I think of two guys right now, right off the head, part of our crew and I say fight loosely, but they disagree on some things. But one of them went to help the other one on Christmas Eve at night to assemble his kid's swing set. And I'll never forget that. And, um, that was my, um, he was my smoke diver partner and we'll we'll talk about that later. But that right there just goes to, you know, we would do anything for our brothers. I don't think they they, some people don't realize that. And so don't be ever be afraid to reach out to your brother because you don't know what he's struggling with as well. And so it might be a two for a win there. You get off your chest and he might get off his, what he needs to get off his chest. And you both helped each other out. Hey
0: friends, I want to take a quick moment to ask you to support the show by leaving a rating and a review on your favorite platform. Your support means the world to us and it helps spread the message to even more people. We've gotten thousands and thousands of listeners, and those high ratings help our show become more discoverable, allowing us to reach even more listeners and make an even greater impact. So if you've enjoyed what you heard so far, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds, and it makes a huge difference. Thank you so much, and now let's get back to the show. The unique part of what we do in the fire service, it's something that, that you just kind of brought to light is that we can go from damn near killing each other
1: <laughs>
0: over probably something ridiculously stupid to acting like nothing ever happened and helping each other out in a time of need or in a time of inconvenience. Oh, yeah. That that takes me back to many of my old memories from from some of my good friends at, at my old station where like I was legitimate. I'm like, this is I'm 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 going to take his head off and I'm going to bury him out back on the hill. No one's ever going to find him. And literally like a day later, it's just, you know, we're back to normal or he needed help with something at home or it's, it's so unique. And you think about it in the scope of the corporate world of the stuff that the normal quote unquote people Mm. do, you know, Karen from accounting is not going to help you set up your kid's swing set. you know Christmas Eve yeah
1: not after dark yeah Yeah, definitely
0: not not. And uh, half of the stuff that we say you know Beth from HR is definitely going to get you canned for it's it's important to realize how good we have it in this job because it it,
1: we're just being our goofy selves and getting paid to do it oh yeah what, what you know people that go to work say a construction worker or somebody that, a physical laborer that works, say, nine to five, or sometimes longer, you know, they're the ones that are out working for our salary, that, you know, they're paying for my uniform, the benefits, the the the, the rigs that we ride in, for me to be here at the National Fire Academy this week. You know, it's, we, we kind of sometimes not, I say, forget who we serve, but you know we we kind of forget that like it's almost like a, not a surreal moment but um you know it's
0: it's I, important to realize yeah. that that we're here for
1: them yeah and that everything revolves around them ultimately yeah and and i some of the trend in the fire service i feel like at times we we often forget who we who we that what are we there for and who we are you know we to serve them um, and, and that's, it's keeping that, not forgetting that it's keeping that promise. Just, just like it, just like the logo says, you know, I keep going back to that. And by you putting that on there with that logo is, I mean, it's, it's huge. It, it's keep the promise and on so many different levels. And, you know, that, that's, I, I always relay that to our crew. It's don't forget. You know, what matters is uh, those men, women, and children out there, and I'll point to the street, that's who we serve. They they come above all. It's not about going to do this pre-plan or this hydrant or this training. It, it's where the rubber meets the road, what we're here for, and that's who we're serving.
0: Let's rewind a little bit because this is something that I've been very curious about. You mentioned. One of the guys was your smoke diver partner. Mm-hmm. I have been curious about the whole smoke diver programs, the culture for years because that is something that we here in the Northeast have zero idea about. We, I, the first one I saw was, I think it was Indiana smoke diver. Then I realized that there's one in Georgia. Then you're
1: like, yeah, I was in Mississippi. So it's a it's a kind of a grow. I say not a growing trend, but um, I can give you more of the history of Mississippi's only because it's a neighboring state. Please do. Um, so the Mississippi Smoke Diver program was started in 1976. Um, I I don't know the exact person that started it, um, but my captain and several other guys on our crew at the time they were smoke divers. Um, and that has been set as a, a, um, personal goal of mine and a career goal. I knew I was going to go to tech rescue classes. I knew I was going to hazmat officer classes and I was going to promote my way up. I knew like in my head, I'd already had my career path, what I wanted to do. But for my, for me personally, um, you know, and that's kind of a side note there is if you're g- first getting into the fire service and you're listening to this, Set goals for yourself. I don't care how small or how hard they are, but set a goal and accomplish it and then move on to the next one. Uh, and for me, kind of young in my career and early in my career, I, I knew I, I wanted to be a paramedic, I wanted to be a smoke diver, and I wanted to get my fire science degree. I knew those were like the three must haves. Um, 2007, I went to paramedic school um, with some of my really close friends. One of them is, we sat at the same table with my best friend. Um, man stood at my wedding. Um, we, we, paramedic school together and, um, in 2011, you know, I'd signed up to Mississippi's program when, again, it was back when it was five days and then they went to four, 10 hour days. So it's, it was basically, it's four days of hell. Um, and, uh, to, you know, to get into Mississippi's program and again, I I don't know what, you know, Georgia, Indiana, and I think Oklahoma, um, all kind of are the same curriculum, it, Georgia is the kind of the, what started the catalyst for the Indiana and Oklahoma. But for Mississippi, you know, it's a very um, sacred patch and belt buckle. And like I, said, I you know, my captain wore the buckle. The guys, you know, that I worked with, they wore the buckle. And so I, I said, man, I just, I got to be a part of that. Um, very physically demanding class. And if you read, uh, if you read the, the class description, it's an advanced firefighting course to, you know, Preference on um, structure fire rescue and fire attack with inch and three quarter and two and a half inch attack lines, and it's very specific. And to get into the program, you know, day one you have to run a mile and a half in less than twelve minutes. And the track at Mississippi Fire Academy—it's not just your flat track at your high school. Um, it's got a pretty good elevation change uh, from where you start at the top of the hill and you run down. And you you, you run up a pretty significant hill three times. You just go around and around and around. Um, And for me, uh, I don't have the runner's build. I don't have the runner's body. I'm a 5'11", 210 pounds, pretty stocky build. Um, So I had to kind of get into running shape. When I say kind of, I had to get into running shape. So I had to do the mile and a half in less than 12 minutes. And these are all standards. You know, their motto is the standards are set or the goals are set. Um. Will you measure up? So you had to do a mile and a half. You had to do seven straight arm pull-ups. Had to be perfect. 25 push-ups, 45 sit-ups. um, Carry two interlocking sections of three-inch, up five stories and back down, and then walk a balance beam. And that was just your buy-in. Um, You know, people are even unsuccessful on the pull-ups, the run, but it's listed in the course description. You know what you have to do. So I trained for nine months to go. Um I overcame when I first got into the fire service. I was pretty heavy. And at my peak in 2005, I weighed 296 pounds. When I went to smoke divers, I was 196 pounds and no question could do the physical assessment to get into the program. Um, uh, I had been training. I really didn't know who my partner was going to be. And about three or four weeks out, um, I got a phone call from my training chief and, an, and another smoke diver and um, captain at, at our same house. He said, hey, man, he said, um, you know, we, we had a, we have an opening. You're the next, you are the next guy that we think can go. You know, you should go to smoke divers. And it's a pretty nerve wracking class. And I, as in it's a mental, you know, it's a very mental class. It's probably more mental than physical, but it's just as physical. Don't Don't get me wrong. And uh, I, I'm like, man, I don't know. I, you know, even I've been training for nine months and can do ten pull ups and, and run a mile and a half and and ten thirty. I just, again, I didn't feel like I was ready. And they they pushed me to go. And about three weeks out, uh, they said, hey, your your partner's going to be LJ and LJ Smalls. And I had known LJ. I, I I taught some of his academy, and I went to him that day. And my, you know, my wife was in a truck with me when I got the phone call and she's like, no, you're going because we can't continue to live life like this. And she was a huge supporter of me uh, through this program. She knew how bad I wanted it. Um, so she was, Hey, look, I'm willing to put our lives on hold for you to get this because I know you've told me what it means to you. So, okay, sign me up. Let's go. I'm, I'm going in February, February 2019. So after that, that day I went to LJ, we were on two separate stations at the time, two separate shifts. I said, hey, look, I said, I haven't told him yet. I hadn't called him because I wanted to tell him personally. And I said, hey, I said, great news. I said, I'm going to smoke divers in February. He's like, really? I said, yeah. And I said, you're going to be my partner. And I remember his face lit up. And I said, but hold on. I said, here's the deal. I said, you know, I'm only doing this once. And I said, I'm going to pass. And I said, I'm not going to quit on you. And you're not going to quit on me. And I said, we're going to have this understanding before we leave Mandeville. And he got very strict faced and, and we shook hands and he said, you got it. And he said, we're going to do this together. And we might have trained a handful of days because it was pretty last minute. And he had been doing two a day workouts. And he, he told me all of his training regimen. I said, that's great and all. I said, but I don't need you to quit. I said, we're going to go through this whole process, through this whole thing all week. We're going to be done and we're going to do it. And, uh, and there were two other guys, you know, poor guy, you know, another guy, he was on his third attempt, um, first day, first time he went, he, he, passed out. They drug him out of the building. Second class he went, he let the nerves get the best of him. He quit the third day. You know, he went with our third time. He went with our class and he, again, he had to be medicaled out of the class. So we showed up Mississippi fire Academy and and you see a couple of smoke divers and I'll never forget the support group. And again, it talks about that brotherhood, the support group from Mandeville that was there for us. And we went Sunday, kind of like a little orientation. And I remember Chad, uh, instructor Chad Martino at the time, they call him, you know, everybody called him Tina. But again, to be formal, it was instructor DiMartino because I didn't know Chad at the time. And I didn't know any of those guys. It was my first time being on this campus. And I was in awe of the Mississippi Fire Academy's campus. And you think Mississippi, Backwoods, Rednecks, that's totally not the case. Um, very squared away fire Academy, very squared away campus curriculum, the whole nine. And so Chad was looking to like ease some anxiety of the smoke diver program because it has only about a 20% pass rate. And our class started with 24, only five of us passed. Um, so he, you know, he had did orientation. He had smoke divers come and talk. And then Monday morning, you know, we went in and everybody's, you could have a pin drop because it's a very nerve wracking class, but, probably one of my top three classes in my entire fire service career. And I've been in fire service for 24 years. And I remember instructor Russell McCullough came in and he had this very stoic face and he had his clipboard and he was a coordinator and he introduced himself, didn't crack a smile. He explained how the week was going to go. And, uh, he said, all right, he looked at the clock. He said, it's 7:20." He said in one minute, he said, each of you, he said, one at a time, you'll exit the exit that door. He said, you're going to come out and meet me by the pull-up bar. He said, every minute on the minute until everyone clears the classroom, you're going to come you know, come out one at a time. And so I, I was kind of like the back two-thirds of the class, and I knew I, pull-ups were my nemesis. Um, we talked about 2011. I signed up. Never could get past the fifth pull-up, so I had to, I say cowardly, withdraw my application. And now this was my shot at it in 2019. So I remember going out there, and my palms were sweaty. Not, not to sound like an Eminem song, but... Uh, <laughs> He was sitting there very stoic and he said, Name. And I said, Pittman, Barrett. He said, I, I will need seven palms away chin ups. Your chin must clear the bar. Begin when ready. So I remember jumping up there and said, Here we go, Barrett. Like, this is it. Like this is this is your shot. And the first three, four pull-ups that came super easy. I'm like, man, this is it. I was on a high. And I did my seven pull ups and wow, I got it. And he said, Go down, run, jog down the hill. You'll meet instructor cook. He'll pitch you to your next assessment. So I jogged down the hill just thinking, I got one out of the way. So I went, I, I met instructor Ross Cook, which you made a chin strap for him. He doesn't know yet. And, uh, so he, he said, uh, he was a little more laid back. He said, all right, man. He said, look, you're going to walk this balance beam, pick up the hose, come back, set it down, move you on along. We knocked down the balance beam, went to another instructor, Push up, sit ups, sit-ups, boom, did the run, um, everything's set. I'm now I'm officially in Mississippi smoked hours class for 2019. Uh, you know, from that point on, you had to wear your mask, you had to tie your Swiss seat and you had to wear your Swiss seat, Swiss seat with a carabiner and a figure eight and you jingled everywhere. And every time you came in and out of the certain door, you had to do seven pull-ups every time you came in and out of it. Um, so that Monday afternoon, uh, they really shifted gears and you had five attempts. You had four evolutions. Each carried five attempts. Um, our first evolution that afternoon was the box maze or the firefighter down, and it's the basement of their old heat building. And it was, you know, you heard, heard stories of the box maze and the scuttle hole and dummy carry and all these things. And that was our first smoke diver evolution of Monday afternoon. And you had to follow, there were two charged hose lines, but they were very specific on the one you followed in. And you had to follow it through a, through a box maze of a ramp, rafters, floor joists, ups and downs into the basement to find a, probably a 250 pound firefighter with an SCBA on his back. And you had to get him out of the basement, back through the box maze, following the same hose and back out the door on 2,216 pounds of air. Wow. Well, I'm not i um, I'm not the best on air consum- or uh, reserves. And so, cha- Instructor, D martino was the was our proctor for that, and we got him out you know everything in the fire service technique, and we had kind of talked about our technique, but not really I guess and it was more let's let's handle the situation what we're gonna do and um you know l j and I shot down to that basement because we knew we had to be quick about this. we only had twenty two hundred pounds of air, not not your you know not modern day forty five hundred pound cylinders, so limited air we shot down to the basement um i Girth hitched the guy real quick with some webbing when we got him back through. Now, at this point, my bell had been ringing before we got him out of the box and uh, followed the hose line. We, we were successful. We got him out and I, my, my ass was sucking to my face. And I remember Tina came up and he undocked my regulator and we never lock, left eyes. We locked eyes. And he just kind of looked squinted, looked at me and he bled my regulator. And I had just a literally probably four breaths left. And he gave it back to me. He said, complete. He said, get your spare bottles, go to the control tower and tell them, complete, get out of my face. Wow. And that was a huge win for, for LJ and I right out of the gate. And then we had two fire evolutions, you know, I think a below, uh, below grade fire attack with, with search and rescue and then above grade search and rescue, no hose line. And um, I'm trying to think, of, there was one more evolution um, that afternoon. I mean, we
0: can keep it secret that way. You're not giving away the whole program. No,
1: so I'm, I'm not going to tell you. uh, Not I, I, it's 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 all good. But um, you know that was you know I, once I got through Monday with that when I had that last C complete, I'm like, man, I I made it to. to I'm I'm going on the day two. It was huge. Um, not that I doubted myself because you don't want to doubt yourself. And the next morning, you know, Tina. And another instructor, they we did PT. We ran a mile, mask, Swiss seat, the whole nine. Again, don't forget your pull-ups. And, um, you know, we started out with 60-second dress reels, and you start on line zero. You have less than 60 seconds to be fully donned out on air, your hands back in the ready position. And you had to do it three consecutive times. If you got to the second time going to the third and you were incomplete, you started back at line zero. And I was three and out like I was done. I owned that. I knew that going into it. And, and LJ was right there with me, uh, it pays to be a winner. It pays to be first. And so we were shotgunned to the the dummy carry. Again, another 250-pound dummy. Um, we didn't have any incompletes for the morning. And I'm thinking, man, I made it to lunch on day two. Um, that afternoon, and this is where, you know, your brothers come together. Um, that night, we had two more fire evolutions um, and we had a, we ended the night on 150 axe chops, and you're dead tired, you're exhausted. There's no skin left on your knees from doing surges, and you're just exhausted. You're drained. Your gears significantly heavier because it's soaking wet now from the sweat and the water from the evolutions. And I'd done my 150 chops, showed wood for instructor Durfee and uh, LJ got up there, and, and he was tired, and he started his chops. And we got up to about 140. He's 10 away from being done. And he started to kind of get sloppy with his chops. And uh, they brought him all the way back to 75. And it was a huge blow to him mentally. And so every time I would count for 76, the instructor would count 75. He never would release him. He let him do another 20. Um, this is where, again, this is the same man that, that, that helped Matt put his kids swing set together on Christmas Eve in the dark. Um, he's as he's doing his axe chops. He said, "I'm not gonna make Barrett do this again," and so he 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 stuck it out. He did an additional an additional hundred chops, and finally we got off of that evolution. We were done for the night. I'm thinking, man, I'm like this is this is this is crazy. I'm going to day three smoke diver. Um, day three, you know, for those listening that have been there, you know what day three entails. Um, you start the morning again PT. We had a trough fire, we had a pad fire, and that afternoon is is the dreaded scuttle hole. And it's uh you saw it on the third floor, and um, you know, you you it's a search and rescue, but there's a hose line there, there's 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 a couple pieces of uh equipment out there on the landing. So you go in, you go do your search, we found a victim and, and we knew what evolution it was that afternoon. And, uh, we pull the first victim out we go back down the stairs to be met by an instructor. And it says, there's been a collapse. You have to find an alternate route. And so this is where the scuttle hole comes in. And, um, I remember throwing the, the lid to the scuttle hole and looking down and they had every fire prop raging in that building. It looked like the pits of hell. And so we shot the roof ladder down there and descended, you know, into God knows how many degrees and, um. You know, we did our search and we found another victim, got him up through. Now, at this point, my bell started to ring. Um, the same, basically the same dummy, the 200-something-pound dummy, he has to come through that hole as well. And I'm not going to tell you any trade secrets here how to get him through there. But just know he's got to go up through that hole and he's got to get out of the building with everything that you brought in. First time I ran out of air, I had to be taken out of the building. Second time, um, we, we, couldn't get the guy up. I ran out of air. Had to be taken out of the building. Now, at this point, I'm exhausted. And my partner, LJ's exhausted. exhausted. Um, but again, this is what part of that program is to find your, when you hit that wall, is to overcome that wall and that adversity. And you know, now we're really starting to have to dig deep in ourselves. To like, hey, this is doable. There's a thousand other smoke divers ahead of us. They did it. We can do it. Um. So we, we dug in a little bit more and we got it on our third attempt and it was a huge, we were totally, we were we exhausted, we were whipped, we still had three evolutions to go. Um, we went through the wormhole that afternoon and um, we did something else. And then the last one was the waterfall and it's a flooded five-story drill tower that you have to take a high-rise pack to the fifth floor and knock over basically a cone outside but there's some other trade secrets that I won't, again, won't let go. You just have to figure it out for yourself. I, I suggest you go to the program. But the first time we we destroyed it. Like it was horrible. Um, and I felt like I was circling a drain. And it made me dig for me, who, you know, what it like again, this was part of that personal goal. You're doing some self-reflection here. And um I I had to dig deep. And I told LJ, I said, Look, man, I said, you're gonna you're going to take this hose to the fifth floor. I said, you're going to make the connection and I'm going to do the rest. I said, we're done for the night. And he's like, I can't, I can't. I said, no, this is what you're going to do. And we're going to be done for the night. And we finished with four minutes. You had to do it in less than five minutes. We finished at 4.53. And as tired and as dead as we were, when we were done, I just had this this, um, moving experience that, um, I'll, I'll never forget. And all of a sudden, I've, I had this newfound energy. And some of the other guys, you know, they had completed it. when well, there was one more team, and they were struggling to get, you know, after day one, you had four attempts instead of five. And they were getting ready on their fourth attempt. And it was storming, raining. And I said, hey, I said, let's go out there and support our brothers. And so I remember we're getting ready to run out the door with our mask and our Swiss seats. And we were met by Instructor McCuller. And he says, where are you going? I said, we're going to support our brothers. I said, this is their last run. And I said, we want to be there to try to support them. And he said, fair enough. And he stepped out of our way and we ran out there. And, uh, I te- I kept time on my watch and they, they missed their time. And I just kind of shook my head and, and everybody, uh, the other five that had passed or the other four that had passed kind of put their heads down. Like they didn't make it. And, uh, instructor McCullough came back up and he said, you can go ahead and go back in. He said, uh, We'll be with y'all in a second. And so he said, "Congratulations, men." He said, "You can, you made it a day four smoke diver," and uh, he said, "You know, square your gear away. Uh, we'll meet in a classroom seven a.m. Remember, if you're on t- uh, yeah, you're yeah, if you're on time, you're late." And uh, we were knocked out day day four, and I remember the final evolution. And uh, when I was done. It was a very emotional experience for me because it was something, what I had to overcome, losing 100 pounds, doing seven pull-ups, everything that I had fought to get there, to do it. And I told my partner I was going to do it, and I upheld my end of that, and so did he. And so we have that that stronger bond, and, and everybody in our firehouse, they kind of realized, oh, that's, that's Barrett's boy, you're not going to, you know... That's, that's him. But, uh, we, we shared that together, that misery, that, that victory just, and again, it's, um, I'm fortunate. I I get to work with four other smoke divers. And so we've shared that together. And, but again, I've fought fires with guys that aren't smoke divers that do just as much work. Um, so I don't want to downplay those that aren't, please don't, don't take that. I'm no better than the next guy. Um, it, and it's more of a personal thing. If you if it's and it's not for everyone, but I respect. You know, you you go up there and you give it a shot and you're incomplete. You know, I, I still look at them the same. There's no disrespect there. It's uh, but for me, that was a very huge rewarding thing in my career that I said top three that. And I'm again just talking networking. Now I go back part of the alumni. You know, instructor Cook McCuller. Um, um, Trimble, Durfee. Uh, there's just so many, you know, the guys that you get to network and talk to and and now we're passing, you know, keep the promise, you know, the, the, ch- the chin strap, you know. That, that's just, just like that. You know, it, it's um so many things. They they saw the hoodie. I wore the hoodie up there on, on Monday for when they started. So they see that, you know, in hopes that again, what 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 this is about. And it's again, more brotherhoods more uh, relationships are formed and I can call on those guys in Mississippi for anything. And, uh, and same, likewise, you know, they, they, when they see the guys from Mandeville, whether we have candidates in the class or not, they know like, Hey, you know, we know what you guys are about. So. That's awesome.
0: That, I don't know. I was, I was getting stressed just listening to those, (laughs) to those parts and like my, my palms were getting sweaty. I was like, "Oh God, the scuttle." Yeah. What changes did you see in your everyday life and and at work after coming out as a smoke diver? I mean, you talk about that transformation from who you were, like a decade prior, to all all the effort you you had to put in. What was day one after being after becoming a smoke diver what was that like what what changes took place like did was it a whole new person were you just like cool i got a little diploma and a a patch and and i get to
1: brag and or um so i mean for me i try to stay pretty low-key um i didn't really even know if you you know i'm wearing a smoke diver hoodie now but it was to stay humble like i said i'm no different i'm no better than you know, then the next guy that doesn't have it. Um, but I knew after completing that training that how I should search a building, how I should advance a hose line. I know that I can push myself personally. I, I've i been tested. I've hit my wall and I climbed over that wall. And I know that it can be accomplished. And, and that's where you you really, again, digging back, you know, into yourself, it's easy to quit and throw up your hands. And, you know, and I get it. If, if the program's not for you, it's not for you. But um, it, it was for me, it was now that I'm kind of expected to be able to push harder and push deeper into a fire and go back to where I potentially found a person and bring them out. And go right back to there and continue my search until that entire building is clear. Uh, if it's one bottle or if it's three, you don't stop because it's kind of that expectation now. Like that's you're expected to search better, to fight fire better, to take more heat than the next guy because you, you know, pretty much anybody that goes. I, I was burned. My coworkers have been burned. Um, but it's it's that it's not being able to quit because somebody is. Potentially in there, and that's part of the the risk that we take of this job. It's you know we're gonna have trouble if you tell me that I can't go in there, uh, or if I miss somebody. You know, I, it's not even talk, talking about if I miss someone, but if you're gonna tell me that I can't enter that structure to search, and I'm looking at a family that's saying my kids are on the second floor, I'm probably gonna I'm gonna put myself in harm's way, more so than normal, to get to that floor or wherever it is, to that room, to at least give that family and that child that chance. Uh, That's kind of expected of me now. I feel that it is. So,
0: And you have that experience of having pushed yourself to the breaking point and continuing on even past that point that you know when you get there and the family's staring at you, my kids up there, you know
1: that you can give. Yeah, you can push more. How, you, like the, everything. You you are capable of more than you can ever imagine. Um, And part of that program, you know, in my training was, uh, and I continued to sp- spread that to the firefighters that I've assisted in training with, it's, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, get very um, personable with your mask, with your turnout gear. Um, you know, if, if, if you have mask anxiety, that's, that's not the place for you. Um, you know, every, every bit of training was done in my mask. Um, the countless miles, the pull-ups, the push ups it was all done in my, my SC, uh, MS, SCBA mask. And it's because that's, you live in that thing all week. You cannot take that off other than to eat. And to sleep. That is it. I mean, everywhere you go on campus, that's how they keep up with the jingle of your eight, figure eight, and that mask. And so, again, it's you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and that's how, you help, part of helping you overcome that, you know, you can again make those pushes. Um, I dig
0: it. I dig it. Like, that mental aspect of being able to push so much and still being able to, to continue the mission is critical because echoing what you say, it's important to repeat that we are capable of so much more than we think. And the only way we can figure out how far we can go is to push that envelope and to push to that breaking point and figure out what the breaking point is. You might think that, you know, Sucking down all twenty-two sixteen is going to be a breaking point. You find out that you still have four breaths in hmm. that you can go. You can go more now. You know in the back of your mind. Now they give you a four thousand five hundred psi cylinder. You're golden, right? You're set for life.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny as that class teaches you how to push to your breaking point. Um, a couple other classes down the road, uh, we went to first, which is another Mississippi offered class. It's a firefighter intervention rescue. Survival techniques, and basically it's basically it's it's now your it's RIT training, and uh, which kind of opened our eyes to that. And I went with another smoke diver, and for everything that they were teaching us, it's like well, wait a minute, we're scratching our head. Like you just taught us to push to our max, to push our breaking point. Like let's get the last little bit of air out of that twenty-two sixteen. But now you're telling me when my bell gets all goes off that I need to exit the structure. And he's like, yeah, we can't really uh can't really explain that but just just go with this. Just, just trust us on this and I said i I got it and um you know again just you know I guess it, it all goes back to you know being physically fit for the job you know we kind of bring that back home um you know again you you think about your your day you're we're not making runs every hour on the hour and so we have a lot of downtime and utilize that. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm gold gym here, but, you know, for us, we we have to work out, you know, minimum of an hour a day and, uh, you know, take advantage of that. It's good for your, obviously, you have to have it for our job, but it's also good for your mental psyche, you know, you know, whether you're running outside, if you run on a treadmill or Stairmaster, weights, CrossFit, whatever it is that you want to do, do something. And again, it, it helps you. You're going to have to make that push one night. And, and you want to be physically fit to be able to do that. And again, like I said, I don't claim to be Mr. Mister Jim here, but um, I, I do believe in that. And it's, it's good on, on many levels.
0: All right. Now that we're starting to wrap up, what's the future hold
1: for Mr. Pittman? Um, so I, I just recently finished my fire science degree again. That was some at the time or right now I'm currently, uh, 100% on my personal and career goals. So it's time to set some new ones. Um, you know, being up here at the Fire Academy, I'm with one of my good friends that, you know, he's an up-and-coming district chief as well. And uh, we're we're tackling this whole command and control series. And so now one of my new goals is, for me, I'd like to get all of the command and control classes under my belt and considering the managing officer certificate, Um at You know, at the fire academy here. I um, hope to take the district chief's test in about a year or so, uh, even though I, I said I'm completely content with retiring in the right front seat. I like to be a work. I consider myself as a working officer. Um, You know, I love being a captain. I love. The guys that I get to work with, you know, again, shout out to 41A. Um, Those guys, they make my job easy. They make it hard. Let's no mistake about that. But uh, I'm getting pressure from a lot of people to be a district chief now. Um, And so that's something I've really started to look at. You know, like I said, my dad retired with 51 years as a chief. My grandfather was a chief. Um, I don't right now as I sit here in your studio, I, I don't, Necessarily, see fire chief on my horizon, or even down the road, um, but to be a chief officer now is really kind of starting to, like you know, I, I feel that that should be my next move in the fire service. Um, so it's it's taking those classes, preparing myself to be a district chief, and um, which I you know, and pass on. Hopefully, my um, my beliefs, uh, my training. Um, to to the younger guys, to the next generation, that next tier, it's it's making sure that you know Chris and Matt and LJ and, and Casey can be captains one day, and then Alex and the two Patricks and Chris can be operators, and and so on and so on. It's passing all that down and and you know helping Neil out, who's who's the, the, now the number one man on the chiefs list. It, it's helping him. You know, surrounding, you know, surrounding myself with, with people that want to be successful. And then also me surrounding, you know, those leaders to make them successful. And that's, that's, that's what you can, you know, to pass that on is, is to, you know, I'm no good if I don't pass on what I know. And that's something that, you know, teaching at our, at our fire academy back home. You know they. We always ask, you know, like how many years you have on the job, and and were you forced to be here, or did you volunteer to be here? And it's like, oh, I was forced to be here. I, I'm forced to take this class. It's okay. You know, part of our job as as senior members of the department and instructors is to make them want to change that thought. Say, you know what, man, these guys really put on a hell of a class for vehicle extrication, and rope rescue, and and. Swiftwater Tech or whatever it is that we're doing, I want to change their demeanor. I want to change their mind and say, and and we have, uh, for the most part, guys come and, and thanked us a hundred times over. Like, man, we were a little hesitant for taking this class for, to be in a home talk class. and But you guys killed it. and uh, And that just, that makes me feel good as a fire officer, as a firefighter in general, you know, and being able to just pass that on, and because one day I'm not going to be there, I'm not going to be in that trench, I'm not going to be on that vehicle rescue scene or in that fire, but I have to make sure that I pass on to those men that you can push harder, you can push deeper, your body will allow it, and you know to make the right decisions. Um, and you know, like I said, if you're if you're a young listener. Getting into the fire service and you know just don't ever lose sight of that you know you know knowledge is knowledge is key especially on our job and get all the training and all all of that as you can just soak it up don't ever be afraid to ask somebody hey man what is what does that do can you show me that no matter the simplest tool whether it's a set of irons to your most complex Paratech Gold Interstate kit whatever it is. Don't be afraid to ask. Um, sometimes when those guys ask me, I think they bite off more than they can chew because I love to teach and I love to talk, um, if you can't tell. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm, again, I love the fire service. I'm very passionate about my job. I just want to pass that passion on to those that I get to serve with and those hopefully one day will serve with before I retire.
0: Hey everyone, it's TJ here from Keep the Promise. As you know, this podcast is all about helping firefighters become more resilient and well-rounded so that they can be a force for good within their fire department and their community. But today, I want to talk to you about something that's just as important, and that is supporting firefighters who are going through tough times. When one of our fellow firefighters is off work because they have to go to the Center for Excellence, they have to go to rehab, they have mental health issues, or they have other health issues... It really takes away their support system and it wreaks havoc on their finances and their family's finances. And many times these brothers and sisters are left to struggle alone away from their support system and the people who love them without the resources they need to recover. That's why I'm setting a bold new goal. that is to reach 150 total patrons on Patreon so that we can start a fund to help firefighters and their families during these challenging times. And I need your help to make it happen. With your support on Patreon, we'll be able to provide financial assistance to firefighter families who are battling things like addiction, depression, and cancer. We're going to help alleviate the financial strain that can come with being away from the fire department so that our brothers and sisters can focus on healing and recovering. Now, reaching 150 total patrons is a big goal, but I believe that we can do it together. And when we do, we'll be able to make a real difference in the lives of those who serve and protect alongside us. So, if you're not already a patron, I invite you to join us today. Head over to joinkeepthepromise.com and sign up today. Again, that is joinkeepthepromise.com. And if you already are a patron, thank you so much for your support. You'll be receiving some exclusive rewards and perks as a way of saying thanks. Together, let's show our fellow firefighters that we've got their back, just like they always have ours. Thank you for listening. Let's get started with the episode.